passage of Scripture for today's message is in the book of Revelations, chapter 2. We're going to be reading to you verses 12 through 17. Revelations chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. Now, as we read through this, you're going to see some words and some concept or maybe some locations that you're not familiar with. After we read the passage of Scripture, we'll come back and try to highlight some things, some definitions, and then we'll proceed into the message. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things says he who has the sharp two-edged, two-edged sword, I know your works, and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast to my name and do not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you, because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come to you quickly, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. And to the angel, some might find their messenger to the church in Pergamos, write. You can look at that from the concept of and to the angel or messenger it would be kind of like the the pastor that has been sent with a with a note here i want you to present this to the congregation so this is really a letter to the congregation and if you have a red letter bible you'll see that it's in red letter and red letter meaning that it's jesus speaking and we would know this because it says these things says He who has the sharp two-edged sword. And we can know from other parts of Scripture that speaking of Jesus, the Word is that two-edged sword, the Word of God. But we need to know a little bit about Pergamos, or Pergama, as some of you might know it. And so let me do a little, little, a little bit of an archaeological uh, background or geographical background. If I can get my notes to go where I want them. They're kind of sticking together. There we go. So Pergamum uh, was the center of four pagan cults. Four pagan cults. We're not going to go through what these cults are, but I'm going to name them. Zeus. Athena, Dionysus, Asclepius. And if you 
are more scholarly than I in the pronunciation. I apologize if I missed those. But it was also the seat of emperor worship. So you have those four pagan cults and the seat of emperor worship. And so when we read there, I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. So clearly it's saying, I understand where you live. And where you live, Satan dwells. And so the background that there are these pagan cults, the background that there is emperor worship, highlights with that where Satan dwells. They were not living in a place uh, where there was a church on every street corner that worshipped Jesus. There was churches that worshipped other things. And part of that worship would have been festivals and activities. And those festivals and activities that were around them and around them would not be godly activities. Not sense, uh, in the sense of godly from a Christian standpoint, but they would have been godly in worship of their God. These parties and festivities would include the sacrificing of food to idols. And so in partaking of those, that food and part of that idols, you become part of that festivities, part of that ritualistic activities. And some of these, no doubt, also include sexual immorality. Now this month, there's a lots of activities going on that include a lot of celebration of sexual immorality. Then we talk then there in this passage of scripture, in this discussion, speaking to the church of Pergamos, there is a discussion that how Jesus hates the doctrine, the teachings. And in other passages of scripture, he hates the works of the Nicolaitans. The Nicolaitans is kind of a hard one to get your hands around. Supposedly there's some Nicolaitans even around today. They seem to be linked somewhat uh, to Gnostics, and there's different general directions and trying to get a handle on what's going on, but we learn a little bit about the Nicolaitans, and they seem to be consistent with this concept where we talk about where Balaam taught Balak. And we'll talk to you about Balaam and Balak in just a minute after we finish on a little bit on the Nicolaitans. There seems to be this Nicolaitans, the concept of a separation of body and soul. 
different people have had these different viewpoints, but I find and some commentaries are looked at as this the separation of body and soul, meaning that the body's already defiled, so who cares what you do? You'll see in the other parts of the new scripture, in the scripture, in places like James, when he writes to James, and it says, faith without works is dead. Meaning you just can't have faith, but your activities have to go with it. And you work, and you see in the Pauline, some of the Pauline epistles where he talks about that they shouldn't just take liberty to do whatever they want to do because they have grace. There's... They seem to be combating a culture that decided that, okay, I get right with God in my heart, and then I can go do what I want. And in this case, it would seem both with the Nicolaitans, but also, especially when we talk about Balak, it had to do with sexual immorality sexual immorality. So if we look back at the scripture that we're, we're in, and we come to the, the passage of scripture in verse 14, chapter 2, Revelations, but I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Now who is this Balaam, who taught Balak. So this is one of those good times to have some background in the Old Testament. And I want you to turn back to Numbers chapter 25. Numbers chapter 25. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Numbers is the fourth of the five books in the Pentateuch. Penta meaning five. Numbers chapter 25. Give you time to turn there. Now the whole passage of scripture that is relevant is Numbers 25, 1 through 9. And I want to uh, have you follow along, and it'll be up on the screen, so you don't have to turn to it if you're in the room and having trouble finding the Old Testament piece. It's Numbers 25, 1 through 5. Now Israel remained in Acacia Grove, and the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. Harlotry, you can figure out what that is. They invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. Hey, we're having a party. You don't really have to do anything, but just come. Come to the party. At least that might be how it starts. So Israel was joined to the Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. Then the Lord said to Moses, Take all the leaders of the people and hang the offenders before the Lord out in the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. So Israel sent to, said to the judges of Israel, Every one of you kill his men who were joined to Baal of Peor. So Baal of Peor is another god, false god, 
And so they led them astray through sexual immorality to get them to be involved and have a good time. It's a good party. It's just a party. And they commit harlotry and they get involved in the sexual immorality and then they kind of get drawn into and drawn astray. It's happened many, many times. Remember Solomon and all his wives? Which he had a whole bunch of. And all his concubines? Which he also had a whole bunch of. And if you know, know what a concubine is, just think of a mistress. So he had hundreds of wives and hundreds of concubines. He's asking for trouble anyhow. But they drew him away to follow these false gods. And so this, this fleshly pleasure, some people get addicted to partying. Um, I think we were in Sunday school where somebody asked me about debauchery. Riotous living, you might have the prodigal son. But they get addicted to those kinds of things. And we know from Scripture that sex was for marriage. And we've taught me before, some of you might have not been in those particular services at that time, but in the act of marriage, because we know the order of marriage places the act of marriage after the marriage contract itself, But that activity releases hormones, just like a woman has hormones that are released when she has a baby that she immediately has this, this strong affection for the child, that the activity between a man and a woman in marriage draws them to one another. It's a healthy aspect of marriage. But see, if you pervert it, then that natural high, you've heard people getting a runner's high, they have to run every day because they're addicted to the high, draws them away to other things. And so sexual immorality becomes this gateway to worshiping other gods or in worship of other gods. See, it's, it's this drawing away. And here we have in Pergamos this concept of their teaching that they're being drawn away through sexual immorality, through these parties, to satisfying these fleshly loves. Great food, great party, I just got to relax. To following these other gods. Now, how do we know that it was Balaam that did this teaching? Because Balaam, Balaam, who is Balaam? Let's see. Do you remember the donkey, talk, talking donkey in the Old Testament? The talking donkey. You're going to have to read about the talking donkey of Balaam. But see, Balaam was on his way to tell Balak. And those are hard to get. Balak and Balaam. See, Balak, Balak wanted Balaam to curse the Israelites. 
And, every, and Balaam's like, I can't, you know, God gives me the words. I can't curse him if God tells me something different. But Balak pays him, basically, if I understand right, to go. And multiple times, Balaam goes, and instead of cursing the Israelites, Balaam blesses them. Now, somewhere in this activity, we just read about the Israelites get drawn away to harlotry with Moab, get drawn away through sexual immorality to these other gods. So the answer comes in Numbers 31.6. I think we will have that on the screen. I, gave the, I wasn't sure if I was going to reference it or read it, but let's read it. In Numbers 31.6, Then Moses sent them to the war... I don't think that's 3116. 3116. 3116. That looks a lot better. Look. These women caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to trespass against the Lord in the incident of Peor, and there was a plaque among the congregation, a plague. There was a plaque. There was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. So Israel, excuse me, Moses is referencing back to the thing that happened at Peor, which is the thing I read to you that they were taken to Baal, which is false god, of Peor. And the reason they got there is because it was under the counsel of Balaam. Now, if you're not following along with all these jumps around, basically, Balaam kept blessing the Israelites. But somewhere in the, in, in the path, he kept blessing the Israelites. Well, that wasn't making Balak happy. Somewhere he gave counsel to Balak and says, Hey, you might be able to get at them if you entice them through sexual immorality. Try to get them involved in this partying and stuff. And then maybe you can undermine them that way. Because I can't curse them, God won't let me. But you know what, you, could, you might try. It's just a suggestion. Entice them through your women. Entice them through sexual immorality. But he says, through the counsel of Balaam, Balak did these things. And it caused what happened to Baor, which we just read to you was, they were enticed away, Eating food sacrificed to idols, basically be part of those festivities. Sexual immorality to draw them away to these false gods. This is the history. This is the concern. So let's start to tie this all back together. Now that we have this in this construct... But I have a few things against you. Back to Revelations 2, 14. Because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things, sacrifice to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which I hate. The teachings of the Nicolaitans, which I hate, which seems to be the separation of body and soul. The separation of body and soul. 
So they had some that were following the doctrine of Balaam. Does that mean that maybe there were people infiltrating the church like Balaam counseled them to infiltrate? If you want to bring them down, if you want to bring them down, you need to entice them across. You need to entice them through sexual immorality to infiltrate them, to bring them down. Because then it continues, thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. If you're going down that path, you're, it's not that far from what the Nicolaitans are doing and basically saying, hey, your soul's okay. Your body's already depraved and decayed and fleshly. So just let your body do what it wants to do. Do whatever. See, we're born in sin, right? The Nicolaitans seem to be embracing the sinfulness. When people say, well, I'm born this way. Yeah, you're born in sin. Some people have a tendency to gamble. We're all born, I mean, how many kids do you know that are able to lie? wasn't my sin. They're already looking out for themselves, you know. They already have the pride, the, the uh, arrogance that it's about me, it's about me, it's about me. I know in today's culture there's no one like that, that it's about me, it's about me, it's about me. I mean, you wouldn't even want to think about it. It's about me, it's about me, to the point that it's about me, even if I can make myself a victim on make my kids a victim so I'm a victim so I, I can have some notoriety, right? Do those things that make you feel good. How dare the preacher, how dare the church tell you that what you are doing is wrong. I mean, did Jesus ever tell the people that they were wrong? Uh, a couple times. How dare you preach on hell? Did Jesus preach on hell? Mm -hmm. Yep. See, the recognition of sin brings this awakeness that we need God. But if we don't recognize the sin, then we might think, hey, I can be my own God. Have you heard of that before? Hey, we can be our own God. Have you heard of that before? I think the Garden of Eden would be the place to find that. The fall. See, we can, we can, we can do what we want. We make it okay. There are some that would even say, if you would ask them, would Jesus and Peter, would Jesus and Peter approve of these homosexual unions and trans and all those kinds of things? I think it was just the homosexual unions, wasn't it? Oh, no. But it's okay now because we're more enlightened, I think was the gist of what we read. It's not okay not now. If it wasn't okay with, for Jesus then, 
But Jesus didn't approve of it then. He certainly, did Jesus change? No. Well, we get to, we become enlightened and so we know better in Jesus now. Some would think that. They don't need the Bible because, you know, they've got their own word. Isn't that what they're doing? They've got their own word. Their word's better. Their counsel's better. We can do what, what we want. It's okay. So now we go the, down this path of sexual immorality, supplying the lust of the flesh. Taking that healthy appetite and turning it into something evil. See this? Entice them through something that is natural to do something evil. They're both enjoying the food, but also enjoying these pleasures that God designed for something else. It's a perversion. It's a perversion. It's changed from the original. Now some would say that I have great problem when you know, because marriage, based on Scripture, is between a man and a woman. Now, I don't like, I don't think we should have to say between a cisgender man and a cisgender woman. Because the man and a woman was around before the cis this and the cis that. If you don't know what cisgender means, that means that you were born a boy, and so you still think you're a boy. Well, you were born a boy, and you still are one. Whether you think you are one or not. We shouldn't have to keep changing the definitions that something existed before. If you've got some new idea, come up with a new word. Marriage was created by God, not... Some of these terms have only been around since the 70s. Trans has only been around since the 70s, I think. Some of these other terms, cis, what is that, 90, 1990 or 94 or something? Oh yeah, we're creating our own doctrines and our own teachings. But how can you call yourself a Christian and following Christ if you're decided that if Jesus wouldn't have been okay with it when he was on the earth, that now it's okay? How are you now a follower of Christ? Though? And it's influxing into everywhere. So if you read these cautions to these churches, see they allowed these doctrines to creep in. We allow those activities to creep in and, and out of our desire to have a big church, we have to be accepting of more people. Is that the philosophy? Why it is the gate that leads to destruction? We get things out of a, a kind of a, out of a alignment. 
And so it's that caution. It's not only that you have some and you've allowed some that are playing around and drawing away, trying to pervert the church and pull them away, and there's others that you allow to remain. We talked about last week that love doesn't mean that I let you do anything you want to do. That everything's okay. If you're doing something harmful, oh, that's okay, because I love you. Just go ahead. Go ahead and shoot up. Get as many drugs as you want. Here, I'll even supply the needles. If you go to certain states and certain communities, you can get your needles for free. That's love, right? Let, let's just let you do self-destructive behavior because I love you so much, I don't care what you do to yourself. I want to make sure that my ideological ideology wins. That's what's important. I've got to sacrifice a few kids here and there. I've got to get the dollars. I've got to have people come into the store. Take a percentage that's this small. And on TV, you'll see it there about 80% of the time. It's got to be everywhere, right? We're an upside down. Depraved minds. Yes, we love the sinner. And we have to have room for that, but that doesn't mean that we condone everything. And yes, it's trying to even infiltrate the holiness churches. Everyone's welcome at our church. But we have membership. That re- and the expectation that you adhere to our doctrine. But you're not going to come into the church and come away with some other doctrine. It's not going to happen. You might try. But I'm the pastor. I'm the shepherd. And my job is to beat away the wolves. To make sure the sheep are protected. That's one of my jobs, right? I'm the shepherd. I'm the under-shepherd. God's our shepherd. But show you the rest of the flock be part of that defense. Not letting that creep in. But certainly, I want those that follow other gods. Those that are in sin. We want them here. I read an article where a man, uh, a guy was talking about a story. I, I don't know if it's a real story or not, but you can relate to it. Someone come in and their phone went off. They forgot to flip it off. The pastor stopped and looked at them or something like that. People looked at them. They got the evil eye because they for- forgot to turn their cell phone off. And they just felt humiliated. So the guy was walking around someplace. He went to the bar 
and he was having trouble getting around, and, and he bumped, and he broke his glass, and he felt horrible. The people came around, and they said, are you okay? I want to make sure he didn't cut his hand, gave himself to clean himself up, and says, you know, well, accidents happen, you know, it's okay. All those kinds of things. Which place do you think he went back to? The church? Or the bar? So people are welcome here. We love them. Regardless of what they're doing. But you're not going to be able to come in and say, let's, here, come do what I'm doing. No, you're going to be told what you're doing is wrong and you can't have other people doing it too. That's the message here. You you don't tolerate that. You have to call them out so they know they're doing something wrong, so they know they, have to, they need to go to God. If you don't, how do they know? I mean, what a friend. I mean, if somebody had mustard on their face or ketchup on their face, well, that's the way they are. That's the way they want to be. They probably put there for a reason. What friend wouldn't say, hey, you got mustard on your face? But what kind of friend is it that you had in high school that you had mustard on their face? They didn't tell you because they want you to really be embarrassed. They thought that was really cool. And so they would... Which is love. Repent, or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Verse 16... He also, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone on the, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. Repent, or else I will come to you quickly, and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. The sword of my mouth, that two-edged sword. And what is the sword of God's, of Jesus' mouth? The word. From John we heard. In John it says what? All things were made by him and through him. The power of Jesus' word. I would not want to fight against him. And the power of his word. There is a judgment coming. And these churches that have served, decided to serve man instead of God, judgment is coming. But in the meantime, we might find ourselves feeling increasingly like we're sitting in the seat of Satan. But I'm reminded that We're not quite there yet. But in some of our states, you see the perversions going on, and in the name of love, they leave people outside that are having mental issues. In the name of love, they give them needles. In the name of love, they put people at risk, trying to come across the border. In the name of love? 
seems perverted about their understanding of love. Let's be standing together. Father God, I pray that as we consume this word that you've given us, and as we munch over it the rest of the day and throughout the week, that we might consider the parts that are for us, whether to encourage us or to chastise us, whether to help us share with others. Lord, you know we must love the sinner, but Lord, we hate the sin. 